Archdiocese of Sioux Falls Office of Adult Faith Formation, this is the Prairie Rome Companion with Dr. Chris Bergwald. Hello, I'm Dr. Chris Bergwald, and welcome to this special edition of Prairie Rome Companion, in which we'll hear the fourth and final part of a recent presentation at a, at a Faith for Life event in the Diocese of Sioux Falls on why we do what we do at Mass. Again, this is the fourth and final part of this presentation given by Father Joseph Fox, Dominican with the St. Joseph Province of the Dominican Order of Priests in the United States. May God bless you. When I ask understanding because the 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 role that a priest is playing in the church today is a difficult one the formation that many priests over the last 35 40 years have received has been very uneven so they are i would say probably only in 98 percent of the cases giving you their very best Now, I had the advantage of being able to study these kind of things for 30 years and teach others, and they keep asking embarrassing questions, so I have to go back and read it again and again and again. And so some of these things have just ruined my prayer life. <laughs> my students, you know, what my, the seminarians... One of the things that they, they have to do in my course, I go through the theology, the history, the liturgy, the canon law of the sacraments, and they have to present themselves in a video celebrating the sacraments, which we then review moment by moment, which is excruciating for them. And they say, I am ruthless because I want to make sure when they go out, they will have an answer for your questions. And I always tell them, I say, I want you to be able to explain when we review the video with the whole class, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? What does the church ask you to do? And why does the church ask you to do it? And if there's a difference, why? Now, my point is to get them to begin to take responsibility for what they do. Not all priests have had that kind of formation. Please be patient and understanding with them. So what is helpful? If they have the time and are so disposed, you might ask them, Father, could we have a study group that would sit down with the new instruction on the missile and just go through and study it together? You know, you're in a very powerful position with your priests and pastors and so forth because you can ask them to be good shepherds to you. But that implies that you know what being a good sheep or flock means and what you need. You need to ask for those things that are going to strengthen you in faith. And generally, those are precisely the things that a priest needs to be a good priest. Not a new shirt, not the latest jacket, 
not the bottle of wine or the single malt scotch. Thank you very much. 18 years minimum, please, because I can't deal with minors. 21 years, preferably, so they're old enough to vote. What really helps us to be good priests is when you ask us to be a priest for you. When you ask us to be, and it's now gone, the teacher, the shepherd who governs, you know, rightly, wisely, and the priest who sanctifies. Don't be afraid to ask those kind of questions. We generally don't freak out over those. That helps. Does that answer the question? Not everything, I assure you. What you're finding out, and I, I hope that it will become clearer, is that this redemption that is occurring in our life through Jesus, he's doing it, is like um, mixing the dough. You've got to get your hands in it, and you get, you're going to get flour all over you and everything else. It's a messy business. It doesn't come out so very simple and clear, black and white and all the rest. You know, you're saying, you're dealing with human beings. And Jesus loves it. Jesus loves it. And it's absolutely better when you take responsibility for yourself than, you, than when you take responsibility for somebody else, or at least attempt it. You know, you say, I know now you are wrapped in sin and going to hell in a handbasket, and I'm the one who's going to save you. As Jesus says in the Gospel, take the plank out of your own eye first. If anything, you come out of all of this and he's saying, I tell you, my students, say, I ruined their prayer life. You know, after going through these videos and everything else, they see things they never would have seen before. Oh, now, Father, you know, when we go to Mass, we see these priests doing these different things, and we wonder, why? How? <laughs> Take responsibility for yourself. Be well-informed. See how that can enrich your prayer life, your participation in the worship that Jesus gives to the Father. The priest will maybe, you know, asking to, to do a study would help, maybe not, you know, but do your part. Be faithful, be supportive. We got to work with what we got, you know, and if this is what we got, pretty good. Pretty good. Should be pretty upbeat about this. Any other issues that before? I yes. Did I want to do what? No. Uh, I mean, I do, but I don't. You know, because <laughs> that'll take us in a different direction. In the liturgy of the word, we are going to hear. The word proclaimed. And one of the points behind this, the, the renewal of the liturgy in regard to the word of God is that the 
uh, fathers of the Second Vatican Council wanted to give us a wide exposure to the whole of sacred scripture. So, differently from before Vatican II, we now have, certainly on Sundays, we have a reading from the Old Testament, we have reading from the New Testament, and we have, over a period of three years, an exposure to all four evangelists. During the week, we have a wide range from all of the Old Testament, New Testament, over a two-year period, with the gospel being the same. I don't think that there's a whole lot for, for me to add about this, about the liturgy of the word. The homily, which is a part, you know, this is where the priest is going to attempt to give some insight into the readings in view of our faith, the mysteries of our faith, the living of Christian life, its relationship to our circumstances in the world, applying God's word to our situation, is seen as an integral part of the liturgy. It is Christ the bridegroom speaking to his bride. Because it is that, it's reserved to a priest or a deacon. Over and again, the church has said that the laity may not give the homily. A seminarian may not give a homily. What's a homily? Just the Eucharist? No. The homily is the liturgical preaching. The preaching that goes on in the context of the liturgy. In particular, as a part of the liturgy of the word. Because it is a function of the head of the church, it is Jesus speaking to his spouse, the laity may not do that because the laity do not have the character that ontological change that, uh, that enables them to act in the person of Jesus Christ, head of the church. Do you follow what I'm saying? This is not because I'm better than you or you're less than me. It's about powers that have been entrusted to us by Christ for the sake of his church. Are you with me? Do we want to say anything else about the liturgy of the word? When we do this, this you will find them speaking about this in the, in the uh, rite itself, that the priest together with the people, I think you will find that we do that as that this sign of the cross, this blessing that touches our thoughts, our words, and our hearts, huh? it is a way of connecting us with the, the blessing that of the gospel. Huh? We're taking it from here. We take it first here, then here into our minds, that it might be on our lips and in our hearts. Okay? Does that help? 
but we're taking it from the gospel. It's our way of taking it in. Okay? There's so many little points that we could look at, but that's helpful. Thank you. We then come to the liturgy of the Eucharist. And so we see in this process that we are, uh, as we are going on, we had this whole process at the introductory rite of trying to become one worshiping community. And all of the steps that we, we recognize, we've got some things in common. We're all sinners. We have all been saved by Jesus Christ. We are all grateful for what he has done for us. And we have also been instructed by Christ, the teacher, the prophet, in the liturgy of the word. And we have taken that in and want that to change within us. All of that is now a preparation for this next part of the thanksgiving that we give to God. You know, say it's like, we want to reflect on why are we giving thanks to God? We think of all these different things and we receive this teaching from God that should help us formulate that thanks and that uh, worship that we are giving with Jesus. And then we begin the liturgy of the Eucharist, which is another preparatory rite. Seems like we're always preparing. Didn't you notice that kind of like going through life? Seems like we're always getting ready for something and never getting there, you know? <laughs> and, or when we do get there, it's also very brief, you know? <laughs> you say, all of that just for those, that hour? In the preparation of the gifts, and you say, we tend, some also call it the offertory. That's what we used to call it before, which might be a misnomer because the preparation of the gifts the preparation of the bread and wine that is going to be changed in the body and blood of Christ is not really what we are offering. What are we offering in this Eucharist? Yeah. Yeah, ourselves. They were whispering ourselves. Pardon? Jesus' sacrifice. We're, we're offering Jesus to the Father with him, in him, through him, we are offering ourselves with him because it is he who is being offered. He is the acceptable offering, but he's not here yet in that way, not, not present as the sacrifice. We are preparing the gifts that will become the sacrifice. Do you follow? So we talk about this now as the preparation of the altar and the gifts. In the prayer, and this is an interesting thing, you know, I, I, the, again, these are things they do with the seminarians that are going to be priests and everything else, and it's a perspective that you, you don't pay all, the, maybe you do pay more attention to it. Who do I, how do I know? The priest takes the paten with the bread, and it says, if I read the rubrics, the priest standing at the altar takes the paten with the bread, and holding it slightly raised above the altar, says, huh? Inaudibly. He can also say it out loud. Okay? Later on, they tell you, you can say it out loud. But it's interesting is that you presumably are singing, and we don't want to bother you, you know? But if you're not singing, well, you may as well join in and respond. 
because the response, if no offertory song is sung, the priest may say the preceding words in an audible voice. Then the people may respond. He doesn't have to. This can all be in quiet. It's interesting. When I talk again with the seminary, he said, why do you think that it can all be quiet? What's important here? The words? If it can all be quiet, what's important? The actions. Hey! The actions obviously are important. If this is the preparation of the gifts, what kind of weight do you want to give in the big picture of the whole Eucharist? Is this terribly important? It does have its importance, but in the big picture, it's not as important as, for example, well, the words of consecration. Huh? When you look, you say, mature people are able to weigh the difference of things that are more important from those that are less important. So a lot of the battles you pick and everything with your kids or with each other, because they're generally closer at hand, you know, your spouse I'm talking about, you know, those battles, you know, you say, I'm not going to fight over a small thing. Oh, yes, you will. <laughs> but to you, they're important. But mature people are able to make a distinction. You say, part of this is happening at this part of the Mass as well. The actions are important, what you are going to see. Now, it says that he raises the pattern with the bread slightly above the altar. I'm sure all of the priests that you have ever seen, you know, when they are holding that patent slightly above the altar, it's hardly ever slightly above the altar, huh? Some, you, I mean, you've seen it. You know, you say, because, again, we're looking at a certain contemplative way of praying. The contemplative way of praying is one in which we know the big picture and where the parts fit in the big picture. Do you know where the elevation comes in the Mass? The elevation. Do you know where that is? So we have after the consecration, through him, with him, in him, and when? I want to see what the, what the teachers are saying about this, you know. Where is the elevation? Is there a dispute here between after the consecration and through him, with him, in him? You agree? You disagree? You don't care. <laughs> the elevation is at the great doxology through him, with him, in him. That is the place where it says explicitly, shall I read? Uh, yeah, I will. I will read it to you. It says, he takes the chalice and the patent with the host and lifting them up, sings or says, through him, with him, in him. This is the big one. Now, it's interesting, this one about the consecration, do you know what it says there? 
must say the same thing, right? Who knows? You know, I, guessing games. My students get after me all the time about that. Always guessing games, guessing games. They say, read the book. <laughs> after he said, this is my body which will be given up to you, it says, he shows the consecrated host to the people, places it on the paten, and genuflects in adoration. Did you hear what I said about the elevation? Shows. It doesn't say anything about elevation. It doesn't say anything about lifting it up. It says he shows the consecrated host to the people and places it back on the paten. Is there any other time when this is going to happen in the Mass? You've been there a couple of times. I know you have. Communion. At communion, okay? It says somewhere here. This is the rubrics, the, the red print. It says here, the priest genuflects, taking the host, he raises it slightly over the paten and facing the people says aloud. This is the Lamb of God. This is who it takes away the sins of the world. No? Those are the times when it happens. Now, contemplatively, that says you know the whole picture. Now you give the proper weight, the proper gesture to correspond to what's going on. The high point will be where? The doxology, through him, with him, in him. That will be the high point. The others are going to be measured below that. So, if at the prayer that we have now preparing the bread and wine, it's Blessed are you, Lord, and I'm, I'm here. Where do I go for the doxology? Has to go higher, because that calls for an elevation. So it's interesting. If the, what is called for is slightly above the altar, what is it about? What is that gesture about? It's acknowledgement, huh? Blessed are you, Lord, God of all creation. Through your goodness, we have this bread. This bread. It's bread. It's not the body and blood of Jesus. It's bread. We have this wine. It's acknowledging. It's a gesture that says it's this one, not some other one. We have this bread to offer. Fruit of the earth, work of human hands. When I get to the... Consecration, and this is kind of moving things way up there. You know, we're going to see that. What happens at the consecration? It says he shows the people. What's going on there? Jesus is really there. And what is the priest doing? What did it say he does? Shows. How do you show me that Coca-Cola can? Yeah, you, know, you say, want to see this book. 
I want to put you in relationship to this because I'm showing you the book. Huh? Do you follow? They're body-specific gestures. One of showing. You should have the experience when the priest does this that you have been shown the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. What is called for after that? Do you remember? He shows the consecrated host of the people, places it on the patent and genuflects in adoration. Now, some priests, and this is left over from the Trinitine Mass, are wrapped in ecstasy. My own personal private moment of the transcendence of Jesus Christ and my genuflection of adoration. Now, what was this about? That's what this was about. The only way I could show you without turning around and putting my back to the Blessed Sacrament was by lifting it up for you to see. Got my point? Do you got my point? So now when they turn around, they're so used to you know, holding it up here, you say, Father, we can see it. All you have to do is show. You know? Now, I don't want to make a big deal of it, okay? Except that the act of, of adoration, in many of these cases, tends to be a throwaway gesture. I can't do it as quick as I used to, but, you know, especially when I'm standing here that moment. But, you know, that, it's over and done with. You know, they do a little Pop-Tart, you know, at the altar. You know? I'm sorry, I've ruined the consecration now, too. The, you say, the opportunity, you know, if they want to have their moment of ecstasy and their moment of personal devotion, should be in their genuflection, in the adoration. Because showing the Eucharist is for who? For who? Yeah. It's for you. It's not for me. The genuflection is for who? Me. For God. I didn't say that because, quite honestly, it's not foreseeing what you're talking about. You're making do. You're adapting to a situation that is not foreseen. Okay? Yeah. Now, about that kneeling, and because we're far away from this other thing right now, according to this, you would be kneeling from the time that the priest puts his hands over the gifts what they call the epiclesis, when he calls down the Holy Spirit. Okay? When he does that, that is when you would be kneeling. Until, he says, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Then you would be up. In the United States, the bishops have said, no, we will kneel from the Holy Holy until the great Amen. Because that 
is our custom in the United States. And the Holy See has said, yes, good, you can do that. Except in those places where they won't let you. But There is an, uh, you know, an, uh, an appendix to this. Chapter 9, Adaptations Within the Competence of Bishops and Bishops' Conferences. And then in the, the book itself, you know, when you get the whole thing and you go through this, you'll see all of these various things and they have a section that they call Appendix to the General Instruction for the Diocese of the United States of America. And they tell you what we do that we're allowed to do according to the general instruction. That the bishops can decide that certain things, the church says, we allow the, the Episcopal Conference to decide you're going to do special things in your country. They could ask that we hold hands. They haven't yet. Are you with me? It's, it, it, I, I find this a little amusing. The question is, in those places where there are no kneelers, are you taking away from the community sense if you kneel in keeping with what the American bishops have decided for the United States? Is that, what you, that was your question? You say, no. You're a little radical, you know. But you are in conformity with what the bishops have said. You know, I can't tell you you're not in conformity because you are in conformity. There are not kneelers there. You know, say, the bishops have not ordered, commanded, that there be kneelers in every church. But they have commanded that everyone kneel from two. Now, if your pastor does not want kneelers in, maybe he's saving money and you guys just can't afford it. I think that he knows that you guys are hard-hearted enough, and by God, I'm not going down on these wretched knees of mine for all that time unless there's a kneeler underneath them. Now, there are other ideological issues that your priest is struggling with, trying to work through, and you guys get to do it with him. Okay? Pardon? Ah, see, this is another... another Good point. You say, if you don't put the kneelers in there, you can put more people in the church. True? I guess. You know, you say that 
These are ways that people are trying to deal with these things. Sometimes it can be an ideological question. Ah, because you know in the ancient church, the only ones who kneel are who? This is a trick question. The sinners. Why? How do you know they're sinners? Because they went to confession and they're not going to get absolution until they have been kneeling for five years. It was their penance. And the only ones who are doing penance are the ones who went to confession. And we know who they are, what kind of sinners they are. They're kneeling. Well, after a while, everyone started finding themselves in that condition and they were very happy just to kneel. No, we're not going to call them sinners or anything. You say, okay, and a, and a practice develops. And now some of these priests are going to put things right on their own authority. Nobody's going to be kneeling when we pray. You'll all be standing. And they say, mm, could we kind of get on the same page with the bishops and with what the church does? You know, do we have to fight over every little thing? Is this an occasion for grabbing our swords and bringing the, you know, the fire and brimstone and attacking the priests that, you know, won't put the, the things in there, the kneelers in? I don't think so. But it certainly wears on you, doesn't it? You're going to say, can't we just do what we're asked to do? There's no, there's no music. There's no music. There's no singing. There, no. Exactly. We should be looking. You, we, when we are participating, should be looking. We want to make a connection, huh, with the body of Christ, with the blood of Christ. Of course. Then we adore. And we adore. Those are the right things. Are you with me? There are a lot of other... You're going to say, we're, we're going to skip now. And I hate to do this because with my students, this would be sheer drudgery. We would do this for hours. And you're getting off with just one day. The gifts are prepared, the priest has said the prayer, and you join in. And now he has said the prayer over the gifts that closes the preparation of the gifts. What happens now? We begin the Eucharistic prayer. The Lord be with you. Some of you are Catholics. You actually responded. But <laughs> there's a dialogue. There's a dialogue. We've been getting you guys all worked up. Well, maybe not too much. But you know, you say we tried you know, to get you involved, to get you in, into this prayer. Everybody on the page, you know, the same page. And we begin the Eucharistic prayer. And the Eucharistic prayer begins with this dialogue. It's an extraordinary dialogue. And it's going to change, hopefully before we die, 
in the translation. The original is Dominus Vobiscum. And some people know the answer. Ad cum spiritu tuo. You just say, we say in English, the Lord be with you and also with you. It's going to be and with your spirit. Okay? Like the rest of the church does. What is that about? You want to stop and consider, when we say the Lord be with you, it should kind of sound familiar. And I don't mean from other masses. It should sound familiar because it is a greeting that we can say comes from the angels. When angels are sent to special people in salvation history, they almost always start with, the Lord be with you. The angel Gabriel does it with Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with you. Dominus tecum. There is an acknowledgement of the spirit dimension that is recognized in the person. You are special. It's not just may the Lord be with you, the Lord is also being acknowledged to be with you. And the response, and with your spirit, is if you recognize that spirit dimension of God in me, I want you to know I recognize it in you as well. You are saying that to the priest. The Lord be with you, and, also, and with your spirit... Not just you in general, you say, with your spirit. It's a dialogue. You come back with a response that goes beyond what I said. The Lord is with you. You acknowledge that in a dimension of the spirit and with your spirit. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God, I say. No? I think I say, no. I don't. I say, in my own brusque way, lift up your hearts. And it sounds like a command. And you know why? It is. I'm the boss here. I'm the head of this assembly. Lift up your hearts. No, no. <laughs> it's really meant to be kind of an urging, you know. <laughs> lift up your hearts. And your response did I tell you to do that? So, what do you think you're doing? What did I tell you to do? And what did you do? And? Just lifted them? To the Lord. To the Lord. You may say, this dynamic, you know, say, this is a great dynamic. You asked the question before about how you can get your priests online and all that kind of stuff. You say, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. Already you're going on in the development of this, of this relationship. You don't stay just with, and you too, you know. That's what we do now. But the real thing that it says, and with your spirit, you know, you're saying, you are really actuosa in this. You are intimately, interiorly into this relationship. 
The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We have to the Lord, is what it says in Latin, habemus, adominum. You know, say, you guys are sharp, you're quick, you are here worshiping. All the preparation was not in vain. You're worshiping. You're lifting your hearts to the Lord along with the Lord Jesus. Whoa! You know, Johnny Carson didn't get it this good from Ed McMahon. Lift up your hearts, we have, to the Lord. Let us give thanks. You say, I don't come back with the command. And you said, last one was lift up your hearts. Lift, you know. <laughs> lift. This one says, <clears throat> let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And you say, I, don't know what, I think you went beyond me again there. Did you hear it? Let us give thanks to the Lord. And you say, thanks and praise are not the same thing. Would you get online? I said, give thanks. And you say, and praise. Huh? If I look at the Latin, it says, dignum et justumes. You know, you always got to get your comment in there. You know, you, <laughs> like, you know, say that, um, gratias Agimus tibi domino Deo nostro. Let's give thanks to God. You say, dignum et justumes. You're always commenting. Away. No, you're going beyond. You're picking up. You know, you say, the whole point of getting you guys ready, of preparing you, you know, with that penitential rite, with that gloria, with the prayer at the opening of the Mass, with listening to the Word of God, all of this, you know, it has you guys cranked up. You're ready to go. You know, we're in this worship mode. And all I have to do is come out with a brief statement and boom, you come back with a really tight, strong statement that takes what I say and moves it beyond significantly. Do you follow? Yeah. We do it every week. Some of us do it every day, you know. We're good. <laughs> what does the priest do after that? Father... Here I just take the one that's in front of me. Father, it is our duty and our salvation always and everywhere to give you thanks to your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And he waxes eloquent. You know, you say, what were we doing when we came here to begin with? Why do we come here? To worship. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're doing. And we're doing it. We're doing it. Father, it is our duty, and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure when we celebrate Mass with you, it just grabs you that way, and you feel really on target. <coughs> Sometimes. <laughs> And it's all leading up, and we will talk about why it is that we're giving this thanks and praise, you know. And I'm going to get you all cranked up. Here it is. And so, we join the angels and the saints in proclaiming your glory as we say, 
yeah, but big, you know, like huge. If you were with me, oh, you are, but in your own quiet, reserved, uh, intimate, formal way. It's enough if we go through the motions. No, I, you know, as much actuosa is much more than that. Something deep is stirring. And this was what this was about. Because we're going to say, sing, proclaim, holy, 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 Lord God of power and might. Heaven and earth are, full with your, are filled with your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Who might that be? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Who might that be? <laughs> yeah, and us, maybe, huh? Like, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hopefully we are. What does he follow? Lord, you are holy indeed. If I did that in Latin, holy, holy, holy. Sanctus, sanctus, sanctus. And I will come back once you quiet down a little bit and get settled on your knees. Very sanctus es domine. Very sanctus es. You really are holy. Pick up, develop. Pick up, develop. Pick up, develop. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Pick up, develop. Lift up your hearts. We have to the Lord. You know, pick up, develop. Pick up, develop. Holy, holy, holy. You really are holy. The fountain of all holiness. Through your goodness, uh, no, no, uh, your, let your spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy. So that they may become for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Can you see what's happening in this? It should be grabbing you. It should be connecting you with that worship. Actuosa. It should have you online, in sync. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't celebrate quite that way. And it's funny, every once in a while, I can crank it up, you know. <laughs> and it's a little amusing to say, nobody is going there <laughs> out in that congregation. <laughs> because we haven't formed people to this Eucharistic process. It's scary. You know, it, we can be grateful and everything else. You know, sometimes all oh, well, thanks very much for that gift you gave me. I really appreciate it. You know, it's something I needed even, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful. And okay, now let it go. <laughs> Here, we do the opposite. You know, say, I don't have to hold back at all. I'm just going to let it, let it out. Let it hang out in a way, in a certain contained manner. And we invoke the Holy Spirit on those gifts of bread and wine. We say the words of consecration. We show Jesus to his people, our spouse, who gave his life for us, gave it in a sacrificial worship of God, fulfilling all that the Father had asked him to do absolutely perfect and complete 
and we get to join in. We find ourselves in the Eucharist at our best. At our best. One by one, we let all of the problems and issues go by, and we focus our attention on why did we come here. We came to worship. We came to authentically express who we really are as human beings, as God's own creation. It's awesome. It's incredible. And here, right in the midst of this prayer, we too are transformed. There is so much happening there. Afterwards, the prayer as it continues and, you know, reflects on the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus offered as the sacrifice that saves us from our sins, looking forward to his coming in glory when all of this effort is going to be crowned with his blessing, his eternal life. It was worth it. And then, then what happens? It comes to this high point where we present it all to God. Because through him, with him, in him, all glory and honor is yours, Almighty Father. Right? Don't we say that? I think. Oh, me sir. Ah, through him, with him, in him. See, I do it all the time. In the unity of the Holy Spirit, it's Trinitarian, this munus which began in the Trinity, has been lived out by the person Jesus Christ, now returns to the Trinity. Through him, with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours, Almighty Father, forever, forever and ever. A transforming moment, that prayer that brings us to our feet. Huh? Now, the old, the old way, from time to time, I, I can relish my age, huh? Taught by our Savior's command. Taught because our Savior, the Redeemer, is the priest and the prophet, the teacher, taught by our Savior's command and formed, shaped by the Word of God. We did that in the liturgy itself. The liturgy of the Word should shape and form us. You know, we're, we're rather different than our, many of our Protestant brethren because for them, spontaneous prayer has great favor over 
formulary prayer. Ours, we want to be formed by the word of God in the prayer we offer because we see our prayer as forming us to be more his children. One of the things that makes us different, we shouldn't not be able to have our spontaneous prayer. They can really, you know, very often outdo us in the spontaneous prayer. But formed by the word of God, we dare to pray. We are not afraid to use the words that Jesus himself gave us to pray. We should not be ashamed of the fact that we have prayers that are rote, that are formulary, because they're meant to form us. Not just be an expression of us. You know, because it's not always me. You know, that's the important thing here. Sometimes it's God, you know. So we see these things happening. We pray in the words that Jesus taught us. We're at 327 or something, 6 or 7, uh, which is really close to the end. <laughs> um, and I'm sorry that we didn't get through everything. I, uh, do you have some particular question or something that we might wrap up on? Um, I, I really kind of inundated you with a lot of material. Uh, I'm sorry if uh, it's too much at one Not really, not really. You know, some, some priests have found that useful, pastorally speaking. Yeah, you see, you see all these kind of things. You won't find it in any of the books. So you say it's, again, a sincere attempt to be inclusive. And, um, again, I don't know that Cardinal Orinze would go to battle over that. Maybe he would. I don't know. You... Yeah, yeah, it's in that, it, you say that. I think, you know, now some priests, you know, as a Dominican, I have my confreres, my other Dominican priests, you know, some of them will get really cranked up about this and they're not doing that. No, you see. There are a lot worse things that we do in life and we think nothing of it, you know, this we want to make, well, okay. But remember, um, the differences between us are not all bad. Now, some people, you know, in particular with their children, you know, say a lot of this is emotion. And this is one of the things I knew I should have said a long time ago about emotion in all of this. Because a lot of our relationship with God, we are relating him out of our feelings. Now, as Christians, as Catholics, I want to bring out and say one of the fundamental things about our relationship with God is that we develop the practice of the virtues. We see virtuous living as, some, as a good thing, you know? We like that, virtuous living. What is virtuous living? It is living by reason, not by emotion. When we stop and think things through, reason them out, especially in view of the gospel, 
especially because we want to be formed by the Word of God. We want that to shape our conduct. We want that to be the guiding principle for this kingdom of God that Jesus came to establish. That takes precedent over our emotions. Sometimes with children, you know, you say that you have to work on that a lot, you know, that their emotions have to be guided and directed. They have to learn how to control their emotions. Otherwise, they really get out of hand and their emotions control them. Certainly not us old people. We don't get caught up in our emotions, you know. But the virtuous activity is one that is guided by reason, not by emotion. Very often in these issues about prayer, about the liturgy, we find ourselves quickly in the realm of emotion, and that's why I like to refer to this. So when we talk about bringing up children or people who are not members of the church at communion to receive a blessing, well, communion is for what? Communion. For the community, for those who believe, for those who are prepared to receive the Lord Jesus in the Eucharist. These people are coming up and saying they are not prepared to do that. If you are not prepared to do that, why are you in the line? Oh, but I want my children, you know, to come up with me, or you know, say, there are a hundred other reasons why you can say, and again, I want to underscore. I don't want to go to battle over this. But if we look at, what was it, Canon 8? 46? That says that you add nothing, remove nothing, change nothing in the liturgical books, you won't find it there. Okay? Reason, when we talk about reason now, it's not there if you do it, then you're adding. Okay? Do you follow? There's maybe good reason, bad reason, whatever, but it is an addition. Exactly. Did you ever bring them up with you before? I'm oh, sorry, the question was, what about the little ones? You can't leave them back there in the pew. God knows what they're going to do. Did you ever bring them up before? I think so. Did you expect the priest was going to give them a blessing? No. Did they get all bent out of shape because they didn't get one of them white things? Yeah. You know, did you tell them get over it? <laughs> yeah. Well, it is amusing. This is a question then of embarrassing people who don't want to be the sore thumb sticking out as the one who didn't go up, you know, and so the priest would rather them come up and not receive communion because they shouldn't receive communion. They get a blessing. You're just saying, oh, they may be Buddhists, they may be Hindus, they may be Muslims, and 
the sign of the cross for them, uh, you know, is a matter of faith. Uh, you know, we don't mind doing that. Or, you know, that aside. But, you know, they say, but they don't want them to stick out. And you say, well, they are who they are, you know, and it's okay. We like them there, you know. Do we have other ways of expressing that and saying that we are happy that they would be with us, you know, but we also want them to respect us because we respect them. If they were in full communion of faith, they too would be able to receive. Now, when we look at this other thing about standing out, I wonder if we ever talk about any more the fact that we are supposed to be properly disposed to receive communion. Or do we simply, you know, herd ourselves up there because everybody else is going to communion and I'm not properly disposed and I'm receiving communion unworthily. And I wonder what kind of an effect that would have. You know, the favorite little thing lately is what would Jesus do kind of a thing? You know, I say, say, Paul talks about it. You say, you eat and drink to your condemnation. Oh, that's okay. Huh? We should really stop and examine our conscience before we present ourselves to receive the Eucharist. And sometimes we should not. And accept responsibility for getting ourselves on the right path. It was funny, last night I went to get the car. Quite unexpected, I might add, thinking I was getting a plane. But so I go to get the car, and the man behind the desk with a particular accent, you know, tells me that, um, oh, excuse me, um, I feel uncomfortable about this, but um, I'm from uh, Ethiopia. And I have not been going to church since I came here to the United States. I feel a little embarrassed. I don't know how I can get back in the church. I always went to St. Mary's back in Ethiopia. He said, welcome home. Welcome home. You just tell any priest in any of these parishes, and I'm sure they will welcome you home. We can easily find ourselves uncomfortable and not know how to get out of an uncomfortable situation. Well, sometimes just opening up the little mouth and you say, people are happy to do what's necessary to get it right. Because we love you. But we want to get it right. We don't want to gloss over it. We don't want to whitewash it. That's important. Is that enough from... Bowing before communion. Bowing before communion. What do you want me to say? Please do it. No. What? No. Uh, We were told that before we get communion, we should bow. Do you like that idea? And you're wondering whether or not that's a good thing? Okay. What what is the issue is, in in the general instruction, it says that we do have a gesture of reverence in receiving the Eucharist. And they say the bishops of each nation may determine what that gesture is. 
So our bishops suggested that the gesture should be, I don't know why, they, they decided that the gesture should be one of bowing before we receive as a sign of reverence. Okay. It was approved by the Holy See. That is a part of the overall picture, okay? That's not an individual priest then telling you, this is what, hold hands, everybody. <laughs> it's not one of them. This is, it went through the whole process. It was proposed. It was accepted. This is our practice now in the United States. Some people have problems with that. Some people, you know, I don't care. They're going to kneel. Some priests get all banished out of shape about that. I don't think they should. Either does the Holy See, interestingly enough. But it does, you know, throw a wrench. You say you're, you're used to doing a certain thing, you know, as the communal way of doing it, and then somebody does something different, like kneeling down when all the rest of us are standing. Do you remember that one? Yeah. <laughs> you say, okay, you can do it, and it's in keeping, but you say, yeah, you're going to stand out. Okay. If it's worth it to you, it means that much to you. All right. There's room for us doing some of these things. Okay. I was talking to one of my co-workers and she's a younger Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, she hasn't heard about you. We, we, unfortunately, we, sometimes we're just making too many changes to keep up with, okay? Again, I ask for your patience. You know, now all of a sudden you guys have questions. <laughs> And you say, immediately when you go back and tell your priest that I said that, no, well, no, no, I said, <laughs> I just, I just want you to say that's his opinion, <laughs> okay? But you know, you say, I don't keep a list. These were things that came up, you know, and I, um, and really going over the the mass and why we do certain things as we have done, you know, talked about today is really more meant to help your prayer rather than get you to go back and be activists with your priests, you know? Um, and I, like I said, I apologize for ruining your prayer life and your devotion to the, to the Mass and the celebration. I, you know, it was really meant that by thinking about these things, you see how the Lord is drawing us to himself in all of these aspects of our life. And that there are some things he's really trying to get us online with and that we do have difficulties. Some of us have big difficulties about submitting to those kind of expectations and so forth. Others, it's, you know, it's a great honor and, and a pleasure, but not everybody is that way. I think that if we can be that patient with other people, we will see the day where we find more people choosing to do what we are called to do because of a loving response in faith so that our worship is true worship.
Oh, absolutely. Um, no. <laughs> the, um, the, <laughs> you know, say, um, these issues, you know, say whether or not parents should coerce their, their children, that means teenagers, you know, to go to Mass on Sunday, is not an issue of faith. It's an issue of parenting. And they're working out parenting issues with their children. Now, there are psychologists, counselors, and so forth who will talk to you about those kinds of things. And I'd rather not do that because in the end, from the perspective of faith, your free choosing, your opting into this is all important. Your taking responsibility for you is all important. Now, as parents, it's clear you have responsibilities to your children in their formation, in their being able to appreciate human values, Christian values, civic values, and so forth, social values, and you have to impart that. How you do it is another issue, okay? But what I plead with you from what the ages I look out here and see, it's not about coercing somebody to do anything. But rather, how do we sign on freely, wholeheartedly in this worship? Do, do you follow? And that's our faith. We really believe in that. And we trust and believe that if we are faithful, if we are sincere, if we are honest, if we are true, it will be absolutely captivating for anyone else. It will be so attractive, people would want to be like us because they would see such an energy, such a life, such a vitality, they would want it too. I don't know if we can easily live that way. You know, we much prefer keeping a lid on it. It's okay to be joyful. Last one. Who was the day? Of women. Ah, in, in head covering. You see, you see in, in St. Paul's letters, he talks about women should not present themselves before God without their head covered. That kind of a thing. You know, he's saying that it, the, this would be in the late 50s, if I'm not mistaken, maybe early 60s, that basically the church had decided that was a cultural issue, not a matter of faith, but rather of how the faith was being expressed. And so they said, okay, it's cultural. There are many different ways in which you can show that, what St. Paul is talking about in that. It was a decision of church, you know. You guys have been great. And again, I admire you for coming and for being here. And thank you. I, it's been wonderful to be with you today.